we are starting a, a brand new series, right? Brand new series, conversation today called God Cares More About Your Money Than You Do, all right? God cares more about your money than you do. And isn't it just wonderful to show up at church for a message on money? Isn't that the best thing in the world, you know? Um, well, hey, listen, here, I'm going to give you a couple disclaimers this morning just to help you hopefully set your mind at ease um, about why we are choosing, we, make the, 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 we didn't try to trick you, we made the topic as clear as it could possibly be, um, what we're going to talk about and why we feel uh, the need to talk about it. Let me give you a couple quick disclaimers, okay? Uh, first off, in a group this size, you just have to understand that not every single person in the room views money the way you do, okay? So, you know, their experience is completely different, and uh, you just need to know that there's a, there's a benefit in the conversation, whether you are brand new to the church, you don't know what a tithe is, and, you know, there's a box at the back, and they said something about offerings, and that's kind of weird to you, and you don't know what that means. That's fine. Listen, that's that's great. We're glad you're here. Maybe you've been at church. You were, you know, you raised in church, and maybe the the context of church and money, the church talking about money, is a negative thing for you. Okay, it's it's it comes with guilt and shame and a lot of past experience that you don't necessarily appreciate. And so that you know that you're in the room, and we're glad you're here. That's not the way I I do things. So hopefully, I'll I'll sell you on that over the next several weeks. Maybe you are here and you were raised in church and you were raised on some of the principles and the ideals that God said about money, and you are so thankful that that was instilled into you as you were raised in church and as it affected you your whole life. And we're glad you're here. You can always be reminded, right? You can always be reminded of what you need to know. And sometimes, most of the time when it comes to church talking about money, it feels very needs-based. It feels very needs, like the church is in, oh gosh, what's going to happen now? Is he trying to buy a private jet? What's happening? Like, why? You know, so I'm just going to let you know right up front. This is not a needs-based message. This is, you know, we are, we're doing fine. We've made adjustments to our budget every year to try to align with where we are with giving. We're, we're doing fine. We want to make sure that you understand there's no special offerings going to happen in the next few weeks. There's no financial campaigns happening. I just want you to know, we, we approach this from an aspect of the importance of the way Scripture talks about it. We want you to know. But let me go ahead and throw this out there, and this is primarily for the men in the room, uh, I am not the boss of you, okay? I'm not the boss of you. Most men, when it comes to money and stuff and everything else, like, like men are just in that place of like, don't tell me what to do, okay, right? Matt knows, okay, yeah, yeah. don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do, Matt, right? I, I understand that, completely understand that. That's not what we're doing this morning. I want to talk about the way Scripture addresses how we view and understand money because of how important it is to every other area of our life. Okay? The understanding of stewardship and money and the way God sees it is a keystone discipline. What it means is that it's like a keystone habit. If you get this right, if you can kind of figure this thing out, there's a bunch of other stuff that just lines up, that just kind of starts to work out. You can't ignore it. It's like leg day. How many know what I'm talking about when I say leg day, right? Obviously, physical fitness, you'd look to me for advice. I get it, right? <laughs> But it's like leg day. You can have a lot of ambition and try to do a lot of things, you know, you know, working out and trying to make your body look a certain way. But if you ignore leg day, what happens, right? You, you, yeah, you, 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 it stunts. You stop at a certain point. You can't necessarily see the growth in other areas if you ignore this part of your body. It's the exact same way with, we believe, how Scripture addresses 
Money, stewardship, finances, generosity. So that's the goal in this series is I'm not your boss. I can't tell you what to do, but I want to give you the information. I want to teach it the way I believe Jesus taught it so that we can benefit from it, so it can benefit our lives, okay? Let me just start with the convincing, uh, hopefully convince you of the statement we made for the series, that God does care more then maybe you or I think he cares really more than we, than we do. Let me just share a few uh, stats with you. One is that money in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, money, the topic of money is discussed more than heaven and hell. Okay? It's discussed more than actually Jesus discussed eternity. He actually talked about money, the use of money, the understanding of money, the reference of money. Right? 40%, it's actually a little bit more than 40% of all the parables, which is the kind of the stories, made up stories that he would make up to teach and to give examples, over 40% references and talks about and is using as a primary example money. All right? Also, uh, Matthew, if you, we're going to look at Matthew today. This is part of what we're looking at today. But Matthew, Matthew actually speaks about this and references Jesus' teaching on this more than any of the other Gospels. Well, that's not a coincidence, right? Matthew was a tax collector. He, that's just how he thought. You know, maybe the other disciples were busy and they weren't, they weren't picking up what Jesus was throwing down, but Matthew understood it and wanted, wanted to record it for our benefit. Okay, so Matthew talks about it even more. But then when you come to all of Scripture, just the whole of, in terms of the canon of Scripture, all right, just to give you some understanding, there are 500 verses about prayer and faith. And oh, you would so much love a series on this, right? Oh, Matt, please do prayer instead. Can we make a shift right now? Can we do faith right now instead? Well, in all of Scripture, that might be referenced 500 times, but over 2,000 times, again, money, resources, wealth, stuff is referenced. So it's a big deal. God does care more about this than maybe you or I do. But the follow-up question, if you actually believe that statement, the follow-up question is simple. Why? Why does he care so much? It's my stuff. Why would he care? Right? It's my money. It's my stuff. It's my life. Like, why, why does he care? I know that, you know, spiritually he might care about the way it, you know, maybe the way I earned it and the way I spend it and the, you know, kind of, maybe he cares some of that. But why does it matter to the degree that you're saying that it matters? And the simple answer, this is the answer we're going to kind of break down over the next three weeks as we talk about this as a church. Um, the very basic simple answer that I'm going to have time to walk through is that he wants to bless us so we can bless others. That's it. Like the, the, the overall purpose of why he cares more about this than maybe we do is because he wants to bless us. And he, and he wants us to bless us so that we can bless others. Now, don't, don't confuse the language with you know, some prosperity teaching and some people that kind of use the word blessing with money exclusively. That's not the way Scripture uses it. I'm trying to use it the way Scripture uses it. He wants to bless us. It's not financially exclusive, but it does include, again, you can't ignore it, it does include finances and stuff and material wealth and possessions. He wants to bless us so we, for a purpose, so that we can bless others. Now today I want to look at one of Jesus' more famous teachings, okay? It's one of his more, let's just say it's one of his top 10, right? This is the top 10. It's the Sermon on the Mount. I hope maybe you've already kind of heard that before, but it's in the, it's in the top category of one of his amazing messages that he teaches, and he's got lots of different places that he goes in this particular passage. We're going to go to Matthew uh, 6. But it's the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the two things that are going to come out today that I want us to focus on. I'm going to give them to you now so I can reference it as we read and as we go through this part of Jesus' sermon. Okay? First and foremost, 
It's that in order to be blessed, we have to be free. Again, using the word as Jesus would use it. In order to be blessed, in order to experience the life that God wants us to experience, we have to be free. We have to have freedom in our life, especially when it comes to understanding and viewing money. And then we're going to see that priorities, okay, priorities actually are what help determine whether we're living a life of freedom or fear, okay? But it actually helps us determine whether we really are going to be living a life of freedom or fear. So you can open up your Bibles if you want. I'll put it on the screen for those that are watching online. Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 24, I believe. Uh, and just kind of just jump right in. It's not the very first time that Jesus references money, but it's the biggest challenge that comes out in kind of a little bit more than halfway through this sermon. All right? He starts it here. He says, here's the challenge. No one can serve, read the two words out loud, two masters. No one can serve Two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, what's interesting here is that when Jesus makes this statement again, he makes this statement just out of context, you would immediately begin that, to think of that sort of yin and yang principle that we're all taught, right? That it's God and Satan, it's good and evil. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, we always kind of immediately, if, if he's giving us two choices and two masters, we're going to immediately assume what we've always been told are the two opposites end of the spectrum. Now, what Jesus does for his audience is just as much of a monkey wrench, it's just as much of a right turn as it is for us. He says there's two masters, but no one can serve two. You're going to love one, hate the other, devote yourself to one, or despise the other. And he says... You cannot serve both God and money. He said, you can't serve both God and money. And again, immediately, even for the people in his day, in his context, would have been like, uh, that, makes, that doesn't make any sense. It's like growing up in a Baptist church. You ever grew up in a Baptist church where you heard somebody amen about something, and you knew that they had no idea what that person just said? You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You can't serve both God and money. Amen. Right? And you're just the whole time, you're going, I don't think he understood what that meant either. Right? So in this moment, they would have been kind of tracking along with him, but really not, because immediately Jesus changes the concept and the construct of what he's saying. You cannot serve both God and money. Matter of fact, I love the NLT. Uh, the NLT says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God, yet be enslaved to money. And this is the place where Jesus is kind of starting and saying, look, we're going to talk about two masters in your life right now, and I want you to understand what those two masters are. And Jesus is wise enough in his teaching to help us understand that there is a chief competitor for your heart and your devotion and your desire, and it's not the devil. It's not Satan. It's actually you. It's actually your money, your stuff, your equals life. That's the chief competitor for you. And he goes on to give examples. That's what I love about Jesus' teaching. He goes on to give examples of what this looks like in our lives in terms of these, the tension with these two masters. He goes on to say this. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Let me pause here and just help you understand. When I talk about fear and freedom, the reason I use the word fear in a basic con context is the fact that fear is the root Fear is the root of all kinds of expressions. Worry, anxiety, stress, okay? Sometimes bad ambition and desire, they are all kind of driven from the root of fear. So Jesus starts by saying, this is why I tell you not to be afraid. This is why I tell you not to, to worry or have this anxiety 
over everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life, read it out loud, isn't life more than food? I struggle with that sometimes, right? Isn't your body, what's the word? More than clothing? Your, your closet might say differently, right? He goes on to say, look at the birds. This <laughs> is Jesus. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries, can your fear, can your anxiety, can your stress add a single moment to your life? That's rhetorical. I don't think he was waiting for an answer. This is his teaching. He's like, can that really change anything? And then he goes on to say, and what, why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work and make their clothing, yet Solomon, in all his glory, this would have been a reference that they totally understood, in all of his glory and splendor, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Talk about the wildflowers. And he goes on to say, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are actually just here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, it's a fleeting life, will he not certainly care for you? And this last sentence says, why do you have so little faith? Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Why did you bring faith up, right? There's a verse referencing faith, right? Why, why would you bring faith up? Because honestly, if we were, to, if we were kind of stuck, if, you know, just like the earlier you know, people listening to this, if we were stuck on the God and money, God and money, now, who's he talking to? Got to be talking to rich people, right? Got to be talking to rich people. Like, like, why would he bring up faith? Why would he bring up faith in terms of this example, in terms of what I believe or what I claim is my religion or what I claim to have uh, trust in? Why would he bring faith up in this? First of all, most of us, if we just took the beginning of the context of that, you know, you can't serve God in money, most of us, let's be honest, most of us would go, yeah, money's not my master. I don't have enough money for it to be my master, right? Most of us would never consider that. He would never, we would never put ourselves on line with, you know, listen, I've had the prayer. I'm just sharing with your pastor. I've had the prayer. I've been like, God, if money's a test, I'd like to sign up for that exam, right? Like, I'd like to see if I could do better than all these other people, right? But the truth is, that's one of the reasons Jesus gives this kind of example, right? He doesn't give examples of vacation homes and third cars and, you know, vacation spots and, you know, he just doesn't give examples like that. He, he gives examples of, like, the bare necessities, right? The basics of life, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Because he wants to make sure that we all understand who the audience is. It's us. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking, he's not talking to the rich people. He's talking to us. He's speaking about the basics of life in every case for every single person that would ever listen and hear this message. That's why he does that. He says, you know, this is, this is what I'm talking about here. Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the person that goes to church on Sunday, and then they spend their entire week, they're chasing that commission. They're, 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 they're worried about whether they're going to get that promotion. They just spend their entire week trying to do all that they can do, like a hamster on a wheel, to keep life turning and to make sure you don't get too far behind. But we go to church on Sunday, and we say, oh, yes, we sing the song, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Yeah, we, we just, you know, we sing that out loud. He's talking to the 40 and 50-year-old, okay, the 40 and 50-year-old that, that God has provided for them their entire 
lives. Like their entire life, God has provided for them over and over again. But last week, you sat down with your bills and you started to wring your hands. And you started to go, ooh, it's going to be a tight month. I wonder if we're going to have enough. I wonder if we're going to make it. He's talking to, Jesus is talking to the the 20-year-old, the mid-20-year-old, who just got a brand new job, and their brand new job is coming up with a great little bump in pay and their promotion, and they are so excited because finally life is going to get easier, right? Because money's going to help kind of just smooth things out and make it so much easier until they get to their 30s and realize that's so not true, right? All more money did was cause more problems, get life more complex, that's who he's talking to. He's speaking to every single person who claims to have surrendered their life to Jesus, but for some reason can't surrender their stuff to Jesus. And isn't that interesting? That we would surrender. I just gave a quick list. That we, we surrender our sin to him. We surrender. He's the answer to the, to the crisis of our sin. We, say, we surrender our, our screw-ups, right? We surrender our screw-ups. Our, I blew it with my kids, and I was a rotten to my spouse, and you know, I, I, I gave in to that temptation this week, and I, I struggle, I'm still struggling with that addiction. Like we, we surrender. God, just take it, please, Lord. I surrender this to you. And we surrender our sorrows. You know, I'm heartbroken. There's been a loss that I can't, I can't bear. I'm lonely. There's, there's mental illness that just continues to plague my life and, and cause a de- debilitation in me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all of this, God. Please, let the, let the call from the doctor be finally good news. God, I surrender this to you. For most of us here, I, I believe we have. We've surrendered our salvation and we've surrendered our eternal destination to God. But isn't it interesting that we have a very difficult time understanding why in the world would he want us to surrender our stuff? That's my stuff. That's not your stuff, that's my stuff. And there's an invisible line that's there. That the, that the ethereal or the spiritual or the emotional or the whatever the case is, we, we, we will quickly kind of surrender this to Jesus. But not the, not the life stuff, not my life stuff. We struggle to surrender. And here's, listen, this is where Jesus is coming down. I, we have a book that we give out as a resource for anybody who wants it. It's out there in the New to Journey area. Um, a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia named Andy Stanley wrote a couple books that I just love. Uh, one's called Fields of Gold and one's called How to Be Rich. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, he likes using the, the kind of the prosperity language to trick people. It's kind of a bait and switch. You know, he, he kind of uses those titles to get people kind of into reading, but it's really some of the, the best, sort of most biblical, uh, I think, most biblical teaching on this. That Fields of Gold book, it's a short read. We give it to everybody who wants one, just to better understand this. But in his newer book, How to Be Rich, and this is a quote that I just love. Because this is getting to the heart of what Jesus is saying. He says, everyone is at risk. Everyone, here. This is the whole audience of who Jesus is talking to. Everyone's at risk of making money. Their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. Which in turn still makes it their ultimate. Right? It still makes it your Lord. It still makes it the master. It doesn't matter whether it's the ultimate pursuit, it's the thing that drives my ambition, that drives my goals, that drives my dreams, or it's the thing I worry about and I fear and I fret and I have anxious thoughts over. 
Because whether it's your ultimate drive or your ultimate concern, it's still your ultimate. Which is why Jesus said, yeah, there's only two masters. There's only two. And what we're going to look at over the next several weeks is just, I'm going to give you the bottom line statement we're actually using next week and the following. But this comes into this, is that money is, listen guys, money is such, it's so much of a better tool and servant than it is a master. Like money in the way that God talks about money being used is to serve the kingdom, is to serve you and to serve, bless you and so you can bless others. It's a servant. It will go where you send it, okay? That's what money will do. It will go where you send it. So it's a better servant and it's a better tool to leverage and to use than it is a master, which is why he, he makes that challenge, you can't have one. You're going to despise one and love the other or hate the one. You know, that's why he gives that. And Jesus, in his just masterful way, he doesn't just give the bare necessities example. He doesn't just talk about, you know, the problem or the challenge to kind of leave people to just kind of self-assess. He actually gives the solution. He actually tells them, hey, if you want to, have, if you want to take, you know, if you want to call to action, if you will, on this, if you want to take some, something and make a change, here's what you do. Here's how you can solve this. And here's what he says. As we continue reading in Matthew, he says, don't worry about these things, saying what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and what are we going to wear? Listen, these things, right? these things, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. People who do not know Jesus, people who do not have faith, people who do not know God, they dominate their thoughts. Why? Because that's all they have is to worry about those things. And he says, but not you. Why? Not you. Your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Listen, this is where freedom begins because wouldn't it be great if you could stop and take a breath in in the morning before you even started your day and you could just breathe it in and go, you know what? There is nothing I'm going to face today that God doesn't already know that I need. There's no surprises coming today. There's no shocks at work coming today. There's nothing that's going to happen with my family today. There's nothing that's going to happen with the place that I serve. There's nothing that's going to show up today that is a surprise to him. He already knows what I need. Isn't that, isn't that some freedom? To be able to accept that. That I don't have to have this. I'm not saying the thoughts don't come. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying the thoughts about what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to drink and where I'm going to... I'm not saying that, that some of the concerns don't slip into your mind. They don't have to dominate your thoughts. Because you, you get to take the deep breath and go, yeah, but, but, my Heavenly Father already knows everything I need. And then the call to action that Jesus gives is this. Seek first the kingdom of God. And this is why I said earlier that, that really he tells us that priority, that, that our priorities, they help determine whether we're going to have this life of freedom or whether we're going to live in this life of fear and who's going to be the master. Priorities help this. So, so Jesus just says, hey, if you want to help this, if you want to solve this, if you want to release this tension, if you want to live in that, 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 that freedom of God already knows, the Heavenly Father already knows all you need, then listen, seek first the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, the NLT says it this way, seek the kingdom of God. Read those three words. Above all else. I'm a visual person, so I like that, right? I like the hierarchy. 
Yeah, seek first God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Above everything else, all the other stuff still exists. But you're going to have a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. And live righteously, which is live like Jesus. That's really our translation, to live like we've been made right with God. And he will give you everything you need. Now, that verse sometimes throws people off because sometimes it's like it's this picture of like, well, if you just do this, then God, you know, you give God a dollar and he gives you 10 and, you know, it's all this kind of, I mean, it just gets lost on people. But I'm telling you, Jesus is basically using the same language I gave earlier, which this is a keystone discipline. This is a keystone habit. If you get this right, if you engage it the way that God said to engage it, guess what happens? Other stuff just falls into place. Other stuff begins to line up in the way it should line up. If you seek first, if you put it above all else, it begins to change. It begins to happen. Now, again, in the, in the book, in the book, uh, How to Be Rich, this is a, the, his second book, and you've heard me say this before. I might, it, might, it might actually have even been the Fields of Gold book, but I've used this example before because I like something simple. Listen, if you're anything like me, self-reflection is not a big deal, right? You're, you don't spend a lot of time in the morning self-reflecting. You don't spend a lot of time during the day like just assessing and feeling your feelings. Most people don't. It's okay, right? When you reflect, it's got to be somewhat simple. If it's not simple, you're going to skip it. You're going to not do it. You're going to give some excuse. You keep it simple. Here's the way Andy uh, writes it in his book, and, and I've, I've used it for years. That you know, There's a priority list that makes sense. Okay? There's a priority list that is very common. This is basically that life of fear. It's the seek you first life. Where we live, when it comes to our money and our stuff, where we live and we save and we give. It means that our lives are basically centered on us. We live first. Above all things, what really matters is how it affects me, what applies to me, how it's going to change things for me. That's what's first. And so the pursuit or the concern is ultimate. And then we, if, we, if we save, it's usually driven out of two things. One, it's driven out of I need to save for later because now I'm worried not just about having enough now, I'm worried about having enough later. So I need to save. And some of us save, kind of like me, this is, I'm a little more guilty of this. We save because we need a reserve because we don't know if we have all that we need for now, right? Listen, every single person in this room has a phone in your house that doesn't work. It's sitting in a drawer somewhere, and it's old technology, right? Yeah, every one of you. And if you don't apply with that, listen, every one of you in this room, just like me, you got a power cord to something in a drawer somewhere. You have no idea what it powers, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. We're not watching Marie Kondo. No way. She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's not a matter of joy. It's a matter of most of the time we save, we hoard, we keep, we hold on to because we still live in fear that we won't have something when we feel like we might need it now. Or again, we live in fear of not having it later. So that's the only reason we really save. So it's live first, save, and then we give. And, and, and I'm not saying people don't give, but usually in a situation with a, with a you-first life that's based in fear... Giving is usually something driven by emotion, it's driven by guilt, it's driven by shame, it's driven by inspiration. But most of the time, if it's giving like that, it's usually sporadic, 
It's done sparingly. And again, it's, it's, it's emotionally driven, which means it could change at any moment. And it's usually given out of just the excess of what we have. Very, very rarely will it be sacrificially given. That's a, that's a CQ first life. That's a life, again, centered on us, kind of driven by the underlying emotion of fear. Now, there is the freedom, I call the freedom, seek God first life. And it's the same list, it's just a different priority. And we're going to spend the next couple weeks talking about how God created a system of generosity, of giving, to help us, to help us seek first, above all else, seek him first. That when we're invited into God's kingdom, we actually are invited into an other's first kingdom. That's what we're invited into. So we give first. We actually have a a discipline where we actually give away. We actually release from our lives something just for the, the, the fact that we, we want to claim that money is not our master. We have another master, and there is something above all else besides me and my life and my lifestyle that matters. And then we save. And, what's, and this is really fun. I, just, I hope you'll get to experience this one day. You know that there's people who actually save not because they need to reserve and hold on to stuff because they're worried they're not going to have enough. There's people that save not just because they're worried about not having enough in the future. There's people who actually save because they want to be open to opportunities that they don't know about yet. There's people who save money, who save time. It's something, it's a word we don't use very often in our culture. It's called margin, right? It's called margin. We actually don't schedule every moment of our day. We don't actually don't spend every dime that's in our account. We actually create margin. We save something for an opportunity that we don't even know yet that God could bring our way. And we save. And then we live. And we get to enjoy the life. We get to enjoy the table he's prepared before us. We get to live and enjoy and glorify God forever. We get to live and guess what? We get to have peace. We get to have contentment. We get to have joy. And we get to have a meaningful life because our priorities are in order. And this is, again, just keeping it very simple. Just, if you just go through the three in your mind, what is it? What is it for you? Now, I'm not going to ask. I'm not asking, you, know, I'm not, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be honest with me anyway, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything, but you know, just doing a quick self-evaluation, you should be able to tell what your priorities are. Is it live, save, give? Is it, is it give, save, live? Is it save, live? I don't know. There's another version in there, right? What, what is it for you? I guarantee you, if you can be honest about what it is, then you can finally figure out why the tension that you feel is there. Because maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a, you know, a mixture of fear and anxiety and freedom. Maybe it's drive. Maybe it's the pursuit. Maybe it's the concern. But here's the best part about Jesus' teaching about this whole concept, especially when he starts talking about money. Did you realize that when Jesus spoke about money, it wasn't ever actually about money? Did you know that? That when he spoke about money, that it, was never, it never had anything to do with how much money you had or didn't have or... What you, what you wanted to have or dreamt about having or prayed about having. or It never had anything to do with that. Matter of fact, in, in Matthew, in this, in this sermon, before he even says, no one can serve two masters, before he gets there, he's already mentioned money. He's already mentioned resources in our lives. In Matthew 6, 21, he starts it actually this way and says, 
For where your treasure is, there your, read it out loud, heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. See, money, listen, money is always a matter of the heart. Money is always a matter of the heart. It's an expression. It's, again, it's a much better tool and servant than it is a master. And the reason I love this, the reason, listen, you have to understand, the reason I love this is because I get challenged on this sometimes. Like, I get challenged every once in a while when I talk about money and talk about God's plan and the blessing for us to bless others. And, and the reason I love th- this, this picture that Jesus made it very clear, look, this is an issue of the heart. Money is always a matter of the heart. That this, these principles and these ideals, they are global, they, are, they, are, they, are, they apply to everyone, and they have applied to everyone throughout time. Throughout all time, 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. It applies to them, right? They're not, listen, third world country, people who are poor, you know, in our mind, people that are poor are not the exception. We're the exception, filthy, rich North Americans, right? That's who we are. 80% of everybody else lives on less than $10 a day. And they get this. They understand this that their priorities need to be kingdom first. And that when they do this, when they understand that, that God provides all that they need to not only experience the blessing in their life, but to be able to bless others. One of my recent trips to Haiti, Haiti, I was asking Don this morning, uh, he was in the first service, but I I didn't remember the stats, but Haiti is over 60% unemployment. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Haiti is over 60% unemployment. And there was a, there's a young guy, I, I say he's young, everybody over there like looks 18, but they're 40. Like it's really weird, like Haitians age so well, I want to be Haitian. Anyway, they, they, they age so well, and so there's this young guy, a young man, again, he's probably in his mid-30s, um, you know, he's always, he always dresses so good, we kind of have a little man crush on him because he's always sharp. He, we look like slobs compared to him, like he's always dressed sharp. He works as a city champion for the Mission of Hope group that we, we serve with. And I was talking to him one day just about his life and his family and where he lives. And, and he was very honest about it. And he said, yeah, no, my, you know, we have a very small little two-bedroom place that, uh, that my, my dad built. And he said most of my family, pretty much everybody else is unemployed uh, in his whole family. He says, you know, they were, you know, they have a hard time keeping employment. And he talked about, you know, the, 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 he doesn't just love the work that he does. He's not just very thankful for the job that he has, but he also has said at least twice in the conversation I had, he understands the purpose of the job he has. That because God has blessed him with this job, he gets to take care of his family. He gets to pour back in and make sure that his family have food and a place to sleep and be able to solve some of the issues that they have in their life. He does not take it for granted. And I'm telling you right now, they do not get paid very much. Again, 80% of the humanity, $10 a day or less. But he understands it, okay? When I say we're the exception, we're the exception because when we think rich, when we think money, when we think resources, we always think about someone else. We always think it's someone else. It's people who are doing better than us. And guys, it's just not true. These principles and these ideas apply to all of us. And why does God care more about that than we do sometimes? Because he knows what's at stake. He knows what's at stake. 
That because there's two options, because there's two categories, because at the end of the day, you and I are going to want to make it more complex. I can already hear you arguing with me throughout the whole message. Yeah, but you don't know, Matt, and you don't understand, and you don't get where I'm at. Fair. Okay? I'm not your boss. I don't make you do anything. Okay? That's fine. God knows what's at stake. That there is going to be a master in your life. It's God And money, again, money is that term used that really just means you. Your money, your stuff, your choice, your life choices, your lifestyle, you. That's who you're going to serve. And because of that, you're either going to experience freedom or you're going to be living in fear. And that fear is going to show up in all sorts of different ways. It's going to be, again, the ultimate pursuit or it's going to be the ultimate concern. And as a result of that, and this is where we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, as a result of that, we get to either experience the blessing and the blessed life that God really does have planned for you. Or, and we don't like this word, (laughs) or we are going to remain enslaved. Enslaved to our lifestyle, enslaved to our choices, enslaved to a God that we don't want to claim that we serve a master that we would never want to be honest about that runs our life. Why does God care more about it? Because he knows what's at stake. Again, this morning I just want to let you know we have resources for you and we want to make sure that you you can take advantage of those things. We only talk about this maybe once or twice a year in terms of this kind of context. And so um, we have the books out there at the New to Journey table. Feel free to take one. Um, if you want to go online, you can look at the How to Be Rich book. Again, I think it's another great, little more modern uh, book uh, in terms of modern language. And he addresses some really cool things in there. Um, we have a, a, a group actually starting in April. Uh, that's going to meet on Monday nights, and it's called Financial Peace University. How many have ever been through Financial Peace University? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, that's awesome, yeah. If Dave's, Ram- hey, listen, it's by Dave Ramsey. It's a phenomenal resource. doesn't just, just talk about money in terms of church context or in terms of this. Um, he talks about it from the standpoint of everything, money management, investment, uh, saving, debt. He's phenomenal in terms of the resources of really turning your life around financially. And so there's going to be a Financial Peace University offered, again, starting in April, meeting on Monday nights. Chris can give you uh, some more information as well on that, and you can find it online or at the info.bar. So I just wanted you to know that there's resources for you. But over the next couple weeks, we really just want you to continue to engage in the conversation that God does care more. And there's a reason why, and I hope over the next few weeks you'll just be open You'll be open to the teaching, you'll be open to the listening, you'll be open to the responding of the challenge God might have for you so that you can begin to experience that life that not only where you get to experience the blessing of God, but you get to do it with purpose so that you and I can bless others. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you this morning that there is a priority system in our lives. Everyone here, God, lives with their wealth and their resources and their stuff in a priority system. And God, I I know that we want to make it more complex than sometimes you do, but at the end of the day, it's a seek us first or it's a seek you first. So God, just this morning, would would you allow us to take the time to be honest about that? Would you begin to move by your spirit in our hearts to the degree that we would begin to at least not just assess it, but maybe begin to to see what changes need to happen. 
in order to really just begin to renew our minds as to how you would want us to live. God, our desire, my desire for everyone in here is to be free, to experience that freedom in, in you and that freedom from that enslavement to money and to the way we choose to use it. And God, over the next couple of weeks, would you just help us begin to understand that money, is, money can really be a servant. Money can be a tool that can be used to blow up your kingdom, to just expand and have an impact beyond what we could possibly imagine. And we get to be a part of it. God, I pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.